Horror podcast general Kevin Kenny, born and schooled in the great state of Maine, graduated from Gorehammer Private School for Disturbed Children, received the Stephen King Scholarship for Shining Achievers, and attended four years at Harvard University, majoring in desensitized science and emotional detachment, has listened to over 1.6 million episodes of Horror Podcast, has viewed 16,430,000 horror movies, in these movies has witnessed over 47 million boobs. Kevin, please mute your mic. What? I know you've what? got a lot to say, but you're making everyone else look bad. Your film fact record is 420% higher than co-host average. That's why, effective immediately, we're transferring you to the Goosebumps Appreciation Podcast. That's fucked up. Come on. You, you guys know I'm totally qualified to be here. Now, well, I can call David down here if you'd like, but he's going to tell you the same thing that I just did. Here. I don't, I don't want to be on some yeah. of those. Kevin, please mute your mic. I know you've got a lot to say, but you're making everyone else look incredibly bad. Your film fact record is 420% higher than co-host average. That's why, effective immediately, we're transferring you to the Goosebumps Appreciation Podcast. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I am Officer Friendly. I'm here with Kevin, Dave, and Kat. How's it going, guys? Hello. Great. That was very unconvincing. <laughs> I'm going to have to take you in for I further to questioning. Silent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> this week, Blue Light Special. The Boys in Blue, <laughs> the Blue Wall, the Thin Blue Line. We're talking cops. Horror as a genre, pretty notoriously unfriendly to law enforcement and street cops in general. Uh, we've talked about that before, often portrayed as incompetent, bumbling at best, malevolent, and part of the evil in the world at worst. So we decided that this week we were going to all watch uh, cop movies. I think we should probably start with 2007's Hot Fuzz, Cap, this is your pick. Woo! Yes, I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. Nicholas Angel is a London police officer who's transferred to a small town due to his skills overshadowing everyone else in the London Police Department. It's there that he finds some odd and spooky things going on. Oh, what could it be? Oh. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are sweet baby angels. I'll love them forever. They could be in any movie and I would probably enjoy it. This is one of those movies, it's just like Shaun of the Dead, where there's no weak link. I feel like everything like comes full circle in the end. Like Everything is put in there for a specific reason, and you're going to find out what that reason is before the movie's over, whether you find out on your first, second, third, however many watches. 
Um, it definitely holds up. I love it. And it, you know, deals with the whole, are the police here to protect us kind of situation, which is a great theme for this week. I love Edgar Wright. He can do no wrong. That's Judge Judy and Executioner. Party's on Williams versus Leiden. Step forward, please. 42-year-old drummer Robert Williams is suing former Sex Pistols 42-year-old singer John Lydon, alias Johnny Rotten, for breach of contract and assault and battery. You clearly like things done in a very orderly, organized, fair fashion. That's right. Right? right. You should probably find another business, because they're not from this school that you're from, sir. Do you understand? Following this whole story? So, no. you want me to continue? Yeah, you're listening. Keep going. He, uh, he tries so hard, though. Nick Frost, uh, he plays like the the great, like, it reminds me of the the dog that follows the bulldog in the cartoons. He's like, yeah, shut up. Hey, your boss. Hey, your boss. He like plays a great, like, sidekick <laughs> guy. I noticed today I was watching this movie. I'd seen it a billion times, and I watched it again today before the podcast, and I paused it to, to do something like, you know, smoke a cigarette, go to the bathroom, whatever, and... On Amazon, it tells you like who is in the scene, mm -hmm. and in the opening scene, he gets robbed by a Santa Claus, mm -hmm. and it's Peter Jackson. It's Peter Jackson. Oh. It's Peter Jackson. Wow. I saw it. Yeah, I didn't even mean to see it, but I just paused on that exact <laughs> I spot. Couldn't, I couldn't wait for his name to come up in yet another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I love this movie. Uh, it's just got. Puns and puns oh. and puns, um, and you don't get sick of them. They're all they're, they're all great, and the, it's like a whodunit kind of vibe. So uh, the dialogue is spread like so thinly across every character in the town because uh, we're like a whodunit. You get to know everyone very superficially. One or two scenes define you know, that person and their quirks or whatever. And they do a really good job of, uh, you know, making these impressions memorable. I actually, I'd never seen this before. My first time oh, for this episode. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, well. And Did you like it? I loved it. And now yes. I, I realize I need to see more um, Edgar Wright movies. Because mm -hmm. I, I had only seen Shaun of the Dead. So I just thought this was like, all right, Shaun of the Dead with cops. I know that much. I didn't, real, I didn't realize he had done Baby Driver. Not long ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah. So I hadn't seen this, but I love the the setup is very common and is a sort of homage to uh, genre setups in general. The hotshot city cop is relocated to the rural, sleepy, small town where not much is going on, or so it would seem, and happens to stumble onto the biggest case of his career. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens all the time. I love that setup. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that's the thing I noticed between all the movies we watched this week is the different dynamics between um, the cops in the small towns and the cops in the city. In the city, they're all everyone's covering for everybody. It's part of this big network of like, I get your back. It's almost like this gang mentality. And you get to these small uh, city cops and they're all. They're all still governing themselves, but they're all like cleaning up after each other's messes to make the overall for the greater good. <laughs> well, I, love, I love the good. fact that, that his first impression is rolling into town and going to the pub 
and ordering a cranberry juice and then immediately busting all the teenagers for drinking booze. <laughs> and like all the adults are like, come on, guys, you know, and then what would end up being his partner, you know, walks out of the bar shit faced. And he's like, you're not going to try to drive, are you? And he's like, no. And then immediately gets in his car. Um, look, this was this is this is Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg coming off of Shaun of the Dead, so they could pretty much do whatever they wanted at this point. Um, Peter Jackson wasn't the only cameo. I don't know if you remember the beginning of the movie when you meet his girlfriend who had just broken up with him. That's Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett, and she requested oh. to just have a cameo because she loves Shaun of the Dead. Um, there's a lot. This is a great, great cast. I mean, you got friggin' Timothy Dalton, you know, to come into your your mm-hmm. buddy cop, you know, horror comedy. Um, and I think, you know, I think what you were talking about, Trent, with Edgar Wright, is this is part of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, which is comprised of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. And Cornetto is the ice cream that Nick Frost's character is always referring to in every movie. So in Shaun of the Dead, it's strawberry ice cream for red. In Hot Fuzz, it's uh, the blue flavor. And then in The World's End, uh, for Aliens, it's the green flavor. Um, so, I mean, they pack so much. Not just the puns and stuff, but little things like the fact that the Neighborhood Watch Alliance, NWA, uh, in the town. Um, I mean, it's it's a very, very clever movie. It's really funny. And then if you dig into the making of it, which I'm sure I will, there's a lot that went into this movie. I'm actually really impressed with what Peg and Frost and uh, and Edgar Wright do to pull one of these movies off. And I was also shocked that this was two hours long and it breezes mm-hmm. by. You know, this in yeah. no way, Shay, I did not remember this being a two hour long movie. And, you know, I wasn't mad about it. The only person I bring up more uh, than Peter Jackson is Donald Trump. And I just have to point out that <laughs> true, he stole true. his whole slogan from Hot Fuzz. At the end, there. I'm not going to give anything away, but "Make Sanford Great Again" was what they they're they're trying to explain, well, you know, what's been happening and the, the corruption internally. And uh, I thought it was funny. I, I, he must not have seen this movie because he probably wouldn't have named it that because that's what the bad guy said. There is something very wrong with you. <laughs> You're giving him way too much credit. I was kind of, I was happy when having never seen this. I was wondering a little bit like why are we watching this? I know that we we cover a pretty wide variety of movies and not everything that we talk about is genre horror straight. But I was like, okay, so this is like a action buddy cop parody. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I know we like we like to include some lighter fare when we're talking about heavier stuff like we are this week. But I was like, eh. So I was really happy when the hooded figure, the the seeming axe murderer shows up and all these very gruesome murders start happening. Mm-hmm. Not not far from Shaun of the Dead stuff. Like and yeah. and then from and then from there as the plot evolves, it keeps the pretty actually the the, the core of the plot is pretty standard horror stuff. So even though they're doing the 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 cop buddy action satire it's still very much grounded in in a lot of genre horror conventions and that was that was pretty cool it, it to reminded discover. me again we always bring up uh you know the 1950s for being such a big uh influential time in horror and it reminds me a lot of uh just pre like giallo stuff with the uh, the murder mysteries and i like the hooded figure yeah i was thinking that too the, the it was very much like the the black gloves you know that that I I thought of that as well. 
And like you guys were talking about the puns, which I know, you know, Dave, you're <laughs> like a total sucker for. But I'm always looking for like the visuals or not even puns, just subtle references. And I think one of my favorite parts of the entire movie that I've never necessarily paid attention to or maybe it's been a while since i've seen this movie is there's that scene where nick frost which by the way nick frost only agreed to do the movie if he could name his character danny butterman danny butterman so, danny that's butterman. such a great so, cop movie name what <laughs> <laughs> yes so danny butterman is doing what you're talking about dave like nipping at his heels and he's like have you ever shot two guns have you ever jumped through the air shooting a gun? Like, it names off all these things. And then in the final action sequence, they do every single one of the things he asked them about in the earlier scene. Uh, yeah. It's just it's just great. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, a quick line where someone's like, Janice Barker has decided to name the twins Roger and Martin. Uh, well, Roger Murtaugh and Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. Uh, they just reference so many things. And when, when he's in the DVD... Uh, when he's looking through the DVDs at the supermarket, there's actually a shot of the dead DVD in that scene, oh. and they put a they put a price sticker over um, over his face so that he didn't break like the fourth wall, so to speak. So there's so many references like that. You know, I love all the references to like Bad Boys too, and I mean, it's I, this I like this movie every, every, more every time I watch it. Yeah, it's a it's a gory comedy mystery. I mean. It, it has it has a lot. It is very violent. <laughs> I love some of the death scenes, especially this the church steeple. The steeple, <laughs> yes, that's what I had. I was like, because I feel like it's pretty low key until you get to that point, and then you just see a man's head explode, and you're like, oh, okay, so yeah, this is absolutely a gory horror movie. Oh, I love the fl- the, the flower shop. The, yeah, the oh, flower shop yes. scene, is, oh. <laughs> and and the best part is how the town just keeps trying to like explain away these things accidents and like yeah yeah, okay accidents happen every day well there's there's an early scene where angel uh, sergeant angel simon Pegg's character says they're talking about car accidents and he says to the rest of the squad or whatever you want to call them he says accident implies nobody to blame it's a collision (laughs) and it, it took me back i swear to you my driver ed instructor mr lafrance Ooh. It was a big, big thing when I was 15 and I was taking the driver's class. It's not an accident. It's a collision. There might be fault involved. And he stuck with that <laughs> through the whole training. He would never say accident. He would say collision. Mm. <laughs> Noted. It's a, tr- it's a real thing. It's out there. Following this whole story? So, no. you want me to continue? Yeah, you're listening. Keep going. Um, also, Olivia Coleman uh, plays huh. one of the uh, cops... She's Queen Elizabeth, who I in uh, in the Crown, which the Crown version is who I name my dog after. So, and the the dude that was in uh, Girl with All the Gifts, he was he was in this. Uh, I forget his oh, name. Oh yeah, and he was, he was in one uh, of the, the Outsider. Yeah, one of the that guy. twin cops there, the guys that look like twins. The other guy was the uh, was in Shaun of the Dead. He worked at the uh, store with Sean. He was the one that. Said he got you got red on you. He was like that and his guy. Step, his stepfather too. Yeah, everybody's in it. It's so good. Literally everyone is in it. And I didn't pick up on this until I was reading on it. But uh, Edward Woodward, who passed away in two thousand nine, he played the professor and the neighborhood watch guy with all the cameras. He mm-hmm. played the cop in the original The Wicker Man. So there's a bunch oh, of yeah. subtle Wicker oh. Man references in this. Yeah. Also, um, Tim from the original British Office mm. has a scene in this. 
Yeah. We talked about Donna from the original British office has a scene in Shaun of the Dead. So that continues. He's the piss taker. What was his P.I. staker? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of rem- reminded me a little bit of Scream at points, too. The, the murder mystery part I thought was very Scream. And also reminded me a lot of Wolf Cop, which we're going to talk about later. Especially being having so many references and so many puns and verbal and, fis- and visual gags that you realize like really early on you're not even going to be able to catalog all of them. <laughs> Wolf Cop does that too. So I thought there were a lot of similarities there. I thought a lot of the, the movies this week had a lot of similarities. I mean, there are cops in every horror movie because crimes are abundant. But <laughs> they're not usually ones central. that are centered on yeah. the perspective of the cop. This centers a lot as far as the cops. I think it's, it's a lot like The Office because a lot of the, the police work, quote unquote, that goes on that they show uh, a day in the life at the station, it's like everybody eating cake and having ice cream. They're always eating. And doing birthday parties. Yeah, they're hanging, take a break. Yeah, they're hanging around eating and stuff. It's like they show that bureaucratic aspect of much of this is just people watching the clock like anyone else trying to do as little as possible and have some snacks if they can and not make a big deal out of anything and not do too much paperwork and call it a day and go home, go to the mm-hmm. pub, and whatever. That was that was one of the big things that uh, Wright and Peg found when they were interviewing people because apparently they kept trying to set up interviews with real cops, but their agent kept misrepresenting them. So the cops thought they were reporters and refused to talk to them. And then the cops were all pissed when they found out it was Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. And they were like, oh, hell yeah, come come talk to us. And and they asked that question. Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright said, what is the most misrepresented thing in cop movies? And they were like, how much we're sitting around doing paperwork. Absolutely. Totally. Totally. You know, the, part of the reason why I thought we should start here this week is because uh, Nicholas Angel is the best case scenario, squeaky clean, good guy cop. He just wants to deliver to people to, to justice. Yeah, he's he's transferred. He, he's, he's too good. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great scene. Like like good like I have no problem with good cops. You know. Yeah, he's doing his job. Like they're all so lazy. He's messing up their their grift of just hanging around, <laughs> being lazy all day, and not having to work too hard. So they got to get him out of town. And then he starts doing the same thing when he gets to the small town. He's way too much for them. I watched this streaming on Amazon Prime. I rented it. I rented this. I think on you Amazon have to rent Prime. it. Yeah, I rented it yeah. on Google Play. It's on most of the the big rental platforms. Well worth the rental. Definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this movie. I was I was happy to uh, see something new. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Good cop, good cop, rolling with that bad cop. What you doing, boy? Turning that blood clock, buck shots. They fly through the truck spots, robots. Can't give a damn who the fuck shot. So this week I chose Maniac Cop, 1988 cult classic. This is right now you can only rent this on Vudu. You can't even rent it on the major ones. For some reason, the two sequels, Maniac Cop 2 and Maniac Cop 3, you can watch those pretty much anywhere, oftentimes for free. But the original 88 Maniac Cop, you have to rent on Voodoo only. This was directed by William Lustig, who actually directed Maniac. 
1980. Oh. So he did Maniac, another cult classic, and then eight years later, slap a cop on the end, you got another movie. <laughs> but it was interesting. It was it was written and produced by Larry Cohen, who's done tons of classics. He directed a lot of classic stuff, like It's Alive, The Stuff, um, the It's Alive sequel, It's Alive Again, I think it's called. So it was a, a little weird that Larry Cohen, being known more as a director, didn't do this, but... This is, to me, um, it holds up really, really well. As far as 80s, I would almost consider it slasher. A lot of the movies, when you go back from the 80s, you think you're going to take in a, a classic. You find that they don't hold up that well. This one, I think, holds up really well. It's very lean. It's very mean. Got a lot of kills. The effects are great. It's gory. And I felt like it's doing something really subversive for the time, which if you're familiar with 80s pop culture film, a big part of it is the vigilante cop, the Dirty Harry, Death Wish, Charles Bronson, Beverly Hills Cop, all these movies, this is the Reagan years, and it's all about the cop that stands up to the rules and breaks them, does whatever it takes to bring in the bad guys. He's not going to beat around the bush with a bunch of laws and technicalities and stuff like that. So the hero is so often this vigilante and this movie kind of turns that on its head. Had you seen this, Kevin? I think you had, right? Yeah, but it's, it had been a very, very long time. I, I mean, I probably haven't seen this in over 20 years. Um, it does absolutely hold up. It's also incredibly topical to what's going on right now, particularly a few scenes. Um, and it's got an unbelievable cast. So you have this director, William Lustig. And the reason he didn't direct it, Trent, is because Cohen actually wanted, came to him and wanted to do a sequel to Maniac and Lustig wasn't into it. So Cohen's oh. like, look, I'm writing this thing. Will you at least direct it? Um, and Lustig's got an interesting career. I mean, the first thing he worked on was the porn movie Deep Throat um, and then went on to do some things with like Argento and then kind of found his calling in exploitation horror. But but the cast he put together, you have Tom Atkins playing, you know, exactly what you just talked about, Trent. I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to, you know, go figure out what's going on. You've got Bruce Campbell. So you've got Ash in this in this movie. You've got Shaft, Richard Roundtree. There's just a ton, a ton of people, and, and kind of like what we just talked about with Hot Fuzz, you know, Lustig ran in this circle of people that all supported each other. So you see like Sam Raimi making a cameo as the reporter, and he does the same thing in Maniac Cop 2. You know, they filmed that whole St. Paddy's Day parade before they shot the movie in order to get funding for this movie, and they did it illegally. So a bunch of people dressed up like cops during that St. Paddy's Day parade were actually arrested for impersonating cops. Um, but as far as the movie itself, it is a much smarter movie than your typical 80s slasher. And, you know, you talked about a lot of the great horror elements it has. It also has a really good story, I think, um, when you get to why the maniac cop is doing what he's doing. And, you know, again, you've got obviously the system has done somebody wrong. But uh, as far as uh, showing like New York City in the 80s, I thought it nailed it um, to the point where... The opening scene when the woman is walking down the road, I was like waiting for like Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel to start playing. Um, <laughs> and obviously it goes in a very different direction. But no, this this is a fantastic one. It's, it's definitely a cult classic in the sense that you aren't going to find a fan of this movie that won't defend it till the end. And then you're not going to find someone who doesn't like this movie and change their mind. I, I liked this movie because it was a little bit different for me, I guess, in that I felt like I couldn't really predict anything that was happening. Like, right when it starts, I was just <laughs> like, 
I was like, oh, is he just maniacally good at his job? Like, that must be it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. No, okay, I see the direction it's going. And then, I, you know, as it went on, I'm like, all right, guess it's Bruce Campbell. He must be the evil cop. And then it's like, no. So I feel like usually when I watch, like, older horror films, I can kind of predict what's going on. But this one kind of left me on my, you know, kept me on my toes a little bit. Did I think it was the greatest piece of, you know, film literature I've ever seen? No. But I thought it was fun. I, I mean, I it had a little bit of camp going on. Like, I feel like anytime you have like an old horror film, there's a little bit of camp. Anytime Bruce Campbell is involved, I feel like there's like a little bit of camp. But I thought it was, I thought it was good. Not, I didn't like it as much as a uh, Wolf Cup, but you know. I liked seeing all the landmarks. Uh, anyone who's spent a lot of time uh, in the city, uh, the club, The Bitter End, which is like a dive bar that lots of people play at. And uh, a lot of the streets, like the little random bodegas and stuff um, uh, in, in Manhattan, I, it had the same feel as like uh, Basket Case, where it just has that grimy New York 80s punk feel. Um, but this was like a sliver of, uh, you know, this is one cop in one city killing white people. You know, and it's this is a horror movie. The people are jumping in their seats and they're scared, and they're marketing this as you know terror to to people. And what people are talking about now is you know thousands and thousands of cops in every city are maniac cops, and and they're, and they're coming and they're coming after people and they're going to their homes and they're murdering them and they're shooting them in the back. Um, so it's weird that this is uh, a horror movie and, and there's the montage of news clips in the bar that mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Trent and I had a conversation about that was particularly topical. Um, the different people's perspectives on what you do when you come in contact with a, a police officer at this point. And there's, there's even a Karen uh, that just... <laughs> In a second, she gets pulled over. Yeah. She's like, I oh, am yeah. not dealing with this shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, and she shoots him right in the face, like right away. Doesn't even hesitate. Pulls a little snub nose out of her purse. And uh, it's way, way ahead of its time with that stuff. Like, yes, very. Especially, again, during this time, the, the maniac cop is the most glorified figure in popular action movies. Like, we you're supposed to root for the maniac cop and this movie totally twists that around and makes the the violent the most violent cop bad and he's killing innocent people and then when he's done with them he's coming for the mayor he's coming for everybody that runs the whole system in a way that's not like yeah dirty harry go get him but i i loved the intro <laughs> it had me right away from the intro scene there's a whole scene of this um, you don't see his face. It's just a cop putting on his whole uniform, and he has the white gloves on. And yeah. it's very He's doing his belt. And he's doing the baton and the cuffs, and the the gun. It reminded me of like those old recruiting commercials for the Marines that they used to run. The few, the proud, the Marines. You know, the guys in the white <laughs> oh, gloves yeah. and thing. It was like that. That's the first thing. It's such a great scene, and then it gets right to the killing. A lot of these movies from the 80s, especially the slashers, which, again, I would consider this sort of a pseudo-slasher, a lot of them, when you go back, 
like, oh, this is a slasher. This is known for killing lots of people. But you end up waiting an hour for somebody to get killed. You're sitting here like, this is not the most high-quality movie. At least you can start with the killing since the only thing this is about is killing. This movie, pretty quickly, right out of the gate, good killing, solid killing scenes. I think what this movie establishes is there's people that are just like, oh, it's just some bad cops that make it, you know, that put a, they tarnish the good cops reputation. It's just some bad cops. I feel like there's some professions that you have to be so fucking thorough when giving these people power uh, that they're, they're, they have to be all good cops. They can't be bad cops. They can't be like, oh yeah, well, sometimes this surgeon doesn't murder people when you go in for heart <laughs> surgery but sometimes he does sometimes he just freaks out and murders you because he's a little unstable um and and it's weird these when you talk about the the recruitment poster it you know it just reminds me that there are places that market to people who have these brutal tendencies that have some sort of Thing that's fucked them up from their childhood or something and they have mental illness that they have not addressed and they're promoted uh, a place to be in the army and in, in the police force places that are, are centered around um, a great uh, capacity to abuse power uh, and you think that would be the last place that they would want those types of people you know um I don't know. So I thought that Maniac Cop kind of like talked about that in a bit because you saw the corruption in the police force like behind the desk. You you have the, the good cop that's like getting framed and then you have the disgruntled ex-cop um, that got, you know, penalized from the system. Yeah, I think well, I mean, and to expand upon what you're talking about, Dave, when you're talking about mental illness and and there's this big movement going on right now to defund the police and i think what what the republican party is doing is trying to twist that that what we're saying is fire all the cops and it's not what we're saying is stop giving them tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to buy fucking riot gear and you know to militarize them what we need to be doing is there need to be you know if I, I take we had a friend recently who had a parent that went through something really horrible in the throes of dementia. And we're just lucky that when the two cops that showed up, that they were patient, that they handled it well. But what should have happened is that should have been a cop and probably a mental health professional. Why are we just filling the police force with what you talked about, Dave, people that want to go out there and carry a gun and wield power? How come there aren't m larger parts of our police department that are mental health professionals and people that are equipped to deal with these things? Because what we've done, and I'm, I'm not even saying that this is all the police department's fault. What we've done is we've taken away all of the peripheral departments that we had, and we've basically asked cops to be counselors, you know, grief counselors, domestic abuse counselors, um, drug counselors, you know, to deal with any type of mental illness. You know, we don't even have fire inspectors anymore, or liquor inspectors. At some point, all of our government just said, just make the cops do all that. Yeah, it's too much. It's, it's too much responsibility for a, a person. I think just structurally, it's unsound. It's not, it's not unsound in every single cop is bad. It's that you got to take the people who are in there and you have to find them you have to filter through and comb through what you have and find the people that are 
are great at doing certain aspects of a very complex job, just like any job. You know what I mean? You don't have yeah. one person that runs all this stuff. And then they also govern themselves to a great degree. Um, I was in on a Zoom meeting with the Portland Police Department and right after some of the police brutality stuff came out and the riots started and they were talking about this checks and balances system of making sure everything's on the up and up and it really just seemed to like you know we spoke about it be like if I was like all right Kevin I you know I fucked up I gotta report to you you report to Cat then Cat reports to Trent and it all stays we, in house. slapped on yeah. the wrist. <laughs> we do another we, episode. Know, it up and throw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like there's a lot of the system that's very archaic and, and needs to change. And I think the way that it's being fed to people um, is is not, it's, it's a little bit polarizing. People get defensive, but I think a movie like Maniac Cop can show how that might just work. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone's anyone's accountability has to be commiserate with their level of power. You know, more with more power comes more accountability, and it's not. It's easy to get defensive, but there's there's a lot of over defensiveness. Like you have the most power of any single person walking around out there on the street every day. Do whatever you want. You're going to have to have the. You should have the highest level of accountability, the very highest. Mm -hmm. And it's too bad, you know, being accountable sucks sometimes, but if you want the power, you've got to be accountable. I do like some of the classic uh, horror tropes to kind of bring this back to, or cliches, I guess, to bring this back to sort of... There's a lot of them, that's for sure. A place about the... But the, the classic line of like, tourism's down 38%. I was like, okay, this is the mayor from Jaws, and this is the guy that shouldn't have opened the, the park at Piranha. And then yeah. there's a couple there's a couple really bizarre character development moments. Like like Bruce Campbell literally takes zero time to mourn the death of his wife. No, like, like, yeah. like not <laughs> not even so a question. Weird. And then the Saint the Saint Patty's Day parade that I was talking about, there was like twelve police officers just got slaughtered. But they're like, gotta have that fucking parade. Like this is like coronavirus. <laughs> this is like Florida and the coronavirus. Like this party stopped for nothing. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up, Kevin, because as much as I love this movie and as much as it holds up compared to a lot of its contemporaries, as a procedural, as a as a crime cop logical legal procedural, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend that it makes any sense. Like nothing about it. People are asking, the detectives are, they don't even know if someone's dead or not. They're like, they can't even, they have to go to the, it just, it makes yeah, no I sense. It, it <laughs> makes <laughs> not. If anything, I mean, that that makes it so obvious that this was written by like a B-horror movie legend and directed by a former porn guy. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I love William Lustig. Like Maniac, the original Maniac is one of my favorite, mm. like, Tom Savini slays it in that. I, I think that's why I, I had never seen Maniac Cop before. And I think that's why is because Tom Savini wasn't involved. And it just seemed a little goofier. Like Maniac is really like psychological and fucked up and really dark, where this seemed a little bit more spoofy. Uh, and it was, but I still liked it. Yeah, and I yeah, will me, say me too. The, the second and third ones 
The third, the second one is a very worthy sequel. It's fantastic. The third one, there was some other people involved. There's a good documentary on YouTube that where Lustig talks about his sort of journey, but uh, they definitely he did start, all three. Yeah, he did all three, but he didn't have like the control that he had over three that he had on one and two. And but but the point I'm trying to make is the maniac cop takes this very cliche journey like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees throughout the trilogy where he just increasingly becomes this like otherworldly <laughs> character. And you do end up seeing his face in the first one and then a little bit more in the second one and a little bit more in the third one. And they just go way over the top from movie to movie to movie with how he looks. Uh, but it's it's great. It's a good trilogy, and and I think the original is is definitely one of my faves from that era. Yeah, I liked how they they keep shooting him, and the bullets don't do anything to him, and but they just have nothing else to do, so they just keep shooting him anyway. Like it's already it's very well established that bullets are not stopping this guy. But I don't know what are you gonna do. I don't know. Just fill him full of lead. He's still coming. Doesn't matter. One one classic '80s cop thing that I love in this movie is the old myth about. If you ask an undercover cop if they're a cop or not, yeah, they, they have to say yes. So they have the undercover cop out as the sex worker on the street, and the the John, the, pr- the prospective John, is talking to her, and he's like, "You wouldn't happen to be a cop, would you?" And she goes, "Bingo, you got me. Okay, have a good night, fella." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's where that rumor perpetuated because I've always thought that too. You know, yeah. like I went into so many drug deals before weed was legal. Just be like, you a cop, man? You a cop? You got to tell me. They have to tell you. They have to tell you, bro. They have to tell you if you ask. Well, there's another. There's another great quote that is presented in this movie like a positive thing, where one of the desk sergeants says, "Matt believed in that old saying: shoot first, ask questions later." <laughs> Just when you thought the news couldn't get worse, it actually got a little bit better today. Yeah, so it is Thursday, July 9th. This episode is going to come out on Friday, tomorrow, July 10th. And breaking news from CNN that should make all of us a little happy. Uh, in more ways than one. For for starters, New York City is painting a Black Lives Matter mural on the street directly outside of Trump Tower. It's finished. They it's started finished. this morning. Right. Sorry. And it's gigantic. So the actual mayor rolled up his sleeves and painted part of the mural himself, wearing a mask and flanked by civil rights leader, the Reverend Al Sharpton. Trump said that he would be denigrating the luxury of Fifth Avenue. Let me tell you, we're not denigrating anything. We are liberating Fifth Avenue. We are uplifting Fifth Avenue, de Blasio said. I I only wish that Trump lived in Trump Tower so he had to look at it because the fact that he said the act of doing this would be a a hate crime, he said. I I don't know where he gets off saying that's a hate crime. I think it needs to be blatant in people's faces. I need to be a giant yellow sign like that's going to be a landmark. But like you said about Trump, he's pissed about this. Uh, He's called the words Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate. And he actually tweeted, maybe our great, and great is in all caps, police who have been neutralized and scorned by a mayor who hates and disrespects them won't let this symbol of hate be affixed to New York's greatest street. Spend this money fighting crime instead. What's the thing is, I mean, how much money could this cost? You know, how much money could spray paint on a New York City street cost? I think what Trump means is spend this money giving more riot gear and fucking tanks that your over bloated defense budget 
overbuilt and now gives to urban and and city police forces, which is the most ridiculous thing. I think me. it's great. You know, like we talked about in Maniac Cop, uh, all the landmarks that define New York and that define the horror movies that we watch. And uh, hopefully in the future, uh, when we have um, horror movies, we'll be able to see Black Lives Matter uh, as a, a landmark in New York City. Uh, oh, wait, hey, guys, I was thinking uh, we could take a donut break. <laughs> <laughs> what nice. Uh, no, I got some paperwork to do. Stay tuned for next week because this is Blue Light Special Part 1. And next week we're going to give you Blue Light Special Part 2 as the show tests some new formats. And we try to do less movies, more talk. We're going to be covering The Killer Inside Me and Wolf Cop next week.